Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, there's a, a love in this universe that is so amazing that it demands everything that we are. Um, that includes our attention. That includes listening to your word, not just with ears, but with the deepest part of our soul laid bare. Not ready to defy you or challenge you, but ready to let you reshape who we are. Holy Spirit, give us the grace. Even if we've never done this before, may this be the first time that we have trusted you to reshape our hearts by the truth of the scriptures. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Mm. Excuse me. Well, I'm alone. I have been asked to do something that's doomed to fail. I'm scared I won't do it right. I'm scared that people will reject me. I'm scared to try because I'm scared to fail. I, I'm the guy that AT&T hired to knock on doors in your neighborhood asking people to change their service, phone, internet, cable, all the above. I work for a company that's worth $130 billion, 200,000 employees, but you don't know any of that because when you open your door, all you see is me standing here alone, sensing doom <laughs> and scared of what's about to happen. At In Town, we're thinking for a few weeks about what it means to invite our neighbors to know Jesus. What does it mean to share with people that we know and love the, the possibility that they could come to trust Jesus too? When we think about that, it's easy to think of ourselves as, as kind of that AT&T guy. I'm hired to sell people something they don't want. And I'm left here alone and doomed to fail. But, but what if, what if that isn't true? What if there's good news that we aren't alone? What if it's true that every time we're inviting people to know Jesus, God is opening a door and inviting them to know him too? That's the good news we hear in the scriptures today. Sonia is going to come and read for us a couple of selections from the book of Acts. Our scripture reading today is taken from two chapters in Acts. Acts 11, 19 to 21, and Acts 16, 9 to 14. Acts 11, 19 to 21. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. 
and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Acts 16, verses 9 to 14. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Tarotaro, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's in our DNA as a Christian church from our earliest days, the, the book of Acts, the longer title is the Acts of the Apostles, um, picks up with the story immediately after Jesus' resurrection and, and tells the story of the Christian community over the next 30 years. And as you read that story, you find out that from our first days, our earliest beginnings, it's in our DNA, we are a church with good news to tell. The story of the true God who made the world, the story of his plan to share life and love with that world through his son, the reality that any person can become part of this story anytime, anywhere, by saying yes to Jesus. That's our story. We are a church with good news to tell. It's in our DNA. It shapes who we are. Sharing good news about Jesus with our neighbors is the overflow of who we are. There's something we sometimes forget about DNA, like we use that phrase a lot. It's in our DNA. Hmm. DNA involves two strands. It's not DNA unless you have these two strands wrapped around one another, right? Evangelism, this task of sharing good news about Jesus with our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, our teammates. It's like that too. It has these two dimensions, two aspects. Um, and sometimes we forget one or the other. I'm going to call them the vertical, what, what God does, and the horizontal, what we do. And remembering that, that that's part of our DNA too, that sharing this story about what God has done through Jesus and the fact that anybody, anywhere, anytime can become part of the story by saying yes to Jesus. That always has these two dimensions. We're doing something, but God is doing something too. We can't forget that. Um, it's going to give us a lot of confidence and joy. I'm going to 
explore a few questions this morning as we see that when we're inviting people to know Jesus, God is inviting them to. The first thing we want to know is, is this even true? <laughs> and then we'll see what, what difference does it make, and, and then we'll ask the question, what do we do now? But it doesn't matter what we do if it's not even true. So let's start there. Is it true that every time we invite someone to know Jesus, God is also inviting them? Is it true that our calling to invite our neighbors to know Jesus is this two-part activity that we're not alone? Absolutely, it's true. Sonia read for us from Acts chapter 11. Um, These verses that talk about these two dimensions, right? Um, Persecution breaks out. Christians are being uh, attacked. They're being arrested. They're being ridiculed. They're being rejected. Um, They're being threatened with the expulsion from their homes or confiscation of their goods or, or maybe just being shut out from job opportunities in the city of Jerusalem, overlooked uh, economically. And so what happens is that Christians begin to do something. And you see in, in yellow here the highlights of, of kind of that horizontal activity. They traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. It's 300 miles. And on the way, they started doing something. They started talking. They started getting to know their new neighbors in a new place and talking to them about what was most important to them, their trust in Jesus. Uh, in Antioch, they did something that had never been done before. They started talking about Jesus to people who had no history with Judaism, no connection, Hellenists, Greek speakers, people whose culture was Greek, uh, as well as their language. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. That's all the horizontal, right? We have something to do. And yet, notice what the Scripture says. The Lord was moving his hand too. The Lord was with them. Now in the New Testament, when you hear a reference to the Lord and you don't get any further description, it's usually referring to Jesus. So here they are traveling hundreds of miles and getting to know new people and building new relationships and a new home, finding new jobs, finding new careers, finding new neighborhoods, talking to their neighbors about Jesus. And and the whole time, the hand of Jesus is with them. The reason these relationships are being built in a way that's drawing people to know Jesus is not because they were perfect at making new neighbors. It's not because they were perfect at talking about Jesus. It's not because the people who were preaching were sinless. It's because the hand of Jesus was blessing what his people were doing, inviting their neighbors to know him. We have something to do, but the Lord is at work. Acts chapter 16 tells us the same thing, right? Um, Paul and Luke and others, uh, Barnabas was the name of Paul's co-worker on this particular journey. They have been trying to go to this place and that, and the Holy Spirit keeps directing them westward because God's going to give him a vision and a dream about a place called Macedonia. Macedonia was a province 
took up most of what today we'd call Greece. So if you look on your map today and you see a tiny little Republic of Macedonia, that was only a teeny part of what Macedonia was back in the day. And um, this dream, God is calling, Luke reports. God was calling us. What was he doing? Well, Paul saw the vision. And so we did something. We sought to go. We made plans to get on a ship and sail from where we were to where God was calling us. We did something. And guess what? When we get there, um, we're going to have to preach the gospel. People are going to have to stand up and say words to other people. We're going to have to build relationships. We're going to have to find the, where's the place in the city where people go to talk about what's most important to them. We're going to find that place and do it. We have something to do. But look what the text says. God had called us. They were inviting people to know Jesus, but God is the one who was inviting people to know Jesus. You keep reading that same story and read about this woman, Lydia. She's a seller of purple goods, clothing made out of purple, dyed with this very expensive dye. So high-end retail is uh, Lydia's job. Now, i got to laugh because some, some translations say she was a seller of purple. It doesn't say purple cloth or purple clothes or purple goods, just seller of purple. And I always kind of get a kick out of this because I'm like, she just sells the color purple. Did you see something purple today? You owe me. Did you think about red and blue real fast back to back? Yeah, yeah, you owe me for that too. Anyway, um, so she didn't sell purple, the color. She sold clothes made out of purple. Look what the text says. Paul had to say some things to her so that she would have something to pay attention to. Right? How, how did Paul wind up in this place? What, we, we thought we'd go find the nearest group of Jewish worshipers. And we went where we thought we would find them. And we found some people there. And we introduced ourselves to them. And we said, hi, we're not from here. Can we tell you what God is doing? And, and we started doing this thing, this DNA that's two parts, this invitation that's two parts. We have our part to play the horizontal, but the Lord opened her heart. Why did Lydia believe? Was it because Paul spoke words or because the Lord opened her heart? And the answer is yes. Do you see what it means? We're not alone. We're not alone. The Lord does that work, opening people's hearts. He did it for you. He can use you to do it for others. Finally, Acts chapter 14. One more example. Paul and Barnabas have been traveling uh, all around. And um, they, they finished their journeys. They sailed back to their home church in Antioch in modern-day Syria. And they gather everyone together to say, we want you to know what we've been up to. And they look how they phrase it. They declared all that God had done with them. God was at work with us. We had something to do. We needed, we needed to meet people. We needed to build new relationships. We needed to speak words about this trust in Jesus has become the most important thing in our lives. And we did that. 
But God was doing something with us. And then this beautiful metaphor of how God had opened a door of faith, not just to Jewish people who came from a background that would have made them maybe more open to thinking about uh, what God is doing through Jesus, but to people who have no background in the faith. They have no knowledge of the Bible. You're going to have to start way back at zero. God has opened a door to invite people to know him. The image is not of God being like this cosmic police officer with this battering ram who's like opening the door. The image is God is the one who owns the house. He's inside the house and he's flinging the door open and he's saying, come in, come inside. Welcome into life and love. And to get into my family, to to know all the life and the love that I want my people to have. All you have to do is walk through this door. It's called faith, the door of faith. I'm opening the door of faith and I'm inviting you to come inside. Every time you invite someone to know Jesus, God is already inviting them. You're never alone. It's our work in the sense that there's something for us to do, but it's never just our work. And um, we could do this all day. We won't, but we could keep working our way through the book of Acts and just seeing this pattern play itself out over and over and over again. Everybody who comes through the door of faith, trust in Jesus, has complete access forever to all the life and love that God wants to give and he is always at work inviting people to come through that door how does this help us how does it help us to know that we've seen that it's true from scripture how does it help the first way we've said it let's say it again we're never alone the father and the son and holy spirit are inviting people to come into his family his love, the life-giving power of his grace, if we extend that invitation, we are never by ourselves. We are never AT&T guy standing on our front porch panicking because he feels like he's been set up to fail totally by himself. No, we're never alone. Here's another way it helps. There is no pressure to succeed. I never talk to people about my faith in Jesus because I'm afraid it will blow up in my face. I'm afraid I don't know what I'm doing. It's not my gift. I've never been taught how. Pish posh, you know how to talk about things that are important to you. (laughs) Anybody play pickleball? Pickleball players know how to talk about pickleball, right? You know how to talk about stuff that's important to you. I think the greater fear here is that we won't succeed. There is no pressure to succeed. Tim Keller, who I think is probably one of the best people at communicating about Jesus to 
the people who have actually come to know Jesus. Tim Keller says the best way to learn how to do this is to try and make mistakes and try again and make different mistakes the next time and try again and make a new mistake and learn from that and keep on trying. And if one of the people who's best at this says, look, the way I learn how to do it is by not being very good at it. There's no pressure to succeed. We are set free from that. There is freedom because the real power in all of this is never going to come from us doing it right. The real power in this comes from the God who's standing behind the door and flinging it open and saying, come inside, welcome to the family. The real power comes through the Lord who, remember Acts 16, he opened Lydia's heart so that she would believe all the things that Paul is saying. The real power is never going to come from us, so there's no pressure to succeed. And then maybe most importantly, if we think we're alone, then Jesus doesn't have to be real when we talk to other people about him. Right? Think about it. If, if I am alone in this conversation with a friend and I'm talking to them about Jesus and I am alone, that means Jesus isn't there with me. Otherwise, if he is there with me, I'm not alone. So if I think I'm alone, then Jesus is just the, the person I'm talking about. He's just the water I'm trying to force through the pipe. But if this is true, then Jesus is always the person who's there with me, the living, present Lord. He's not just words. He's not a script I've memorized and I'm trying to hand off to you. He's not a project I'm trying to complete. He's a person who is there engaging my friend even as I am. He's a person who's there with me. <laughs> we have the opportunity for Jesus to become more real, the living, personal God present with us. How does it feel to be real? When you're real, when you feel, I mean, use your favorite word, whether it's authentic or genuine or person of integrity. When you're being that, how good does that feel? Sharing our faith in Jesus with other people Can feel like that. Everyone you know is dying to be with someone real. Right? Um, everybody you know is constantly, is constantly surrounded by fakes. Everybody you know is afraid that every image they see is photoshopped out of this world. It's a deep fake. Even if it's a recording of their own voice, they, they, they know not to trust it. Everybody you know is surrounded by people who are filtered. Everybody we know is dying for something real, someone real. Everybody you know is always connected but always lonely. And what if for just one minute, you could be that real person who shows up saying, um, hey, what's really important in your life? 
Tell me about it. I want to know more. And maybe another time, you can be real again and say, can I tell you about what's really important in my life? This would be a breath of fresh air in this world, wouldn't it? Real people having a real conversation about someone who's really present. A real, living God, active and present with us. So what do we do? If it's true that every time we're inviting someone to know Jesus... God is also at work inviting, opening hearts, throwing open the door of faith and inviting people to come through it. Every time we do our part, God is at work doing what we could never do. If that's true, if we have this opportunity to kind of lean in and become this breath of fresh air, real people in a world that's full of fake, what do we do now? Um, can I just go back and say we, we do what we said we'd do last week in last week's sermon? It's very simple, and yet, because God is at work through this rhythm, the whole world can be changed because of it. Spend time getting to know Jesus. That's a pattern you'll see throughout the book of Acts, too. Before Christians go somewhere to talk about Jesus, and make new neighbors and build new relationships and build new friendships and talk about Jesus in that context, the first thing they do is get to know Jesus. Spend time getting to know Jesus. And then we spend time getting to know people. Building real friendship. Not a project, not an agenda, not a target, not a potential recruit. real friendship. Spend time getting to know Jesus. Spend time getting to know people. And then invite those people that we know to talk about what's really important. And you know how this works. That shouldn't be a monologue. Nobody wants to hear you talk about what's important to you if you've never done any listening to them. <laughs> so it's out of love because we've learned love by being with Jesus. And he's changing us and reshaping who we are. And that's pouring out of us into relationships with real people. Some of whom share our faith in Jesus and some of whom don't. And in those contexts, we're talking about what's most important. What's important to you? Let me tell you about what's important to me. What's your core identity? The one thing that if, if people knew everything else about you, but they didn't know this, they still wouldn't really know you. What's that for you? For Christians, it's I belong to Jesus. You can know everything about me, but if you don't know that, you still don't know who I am. What's that thing for you? Can I tell you what that thing is for me? That's the rhythm. Uh, shameless ad here. That's in town's mission statement, right? That rhythm is this. Spend time getting to know Jesus. He will change you. 
He will reshape you. He will change who you are. Spend time getting to know people. We do that in the Christian community. We get to know one another. Hopefully we're getting to know one another in a way that's real. People of integrity, authenticity, reality, not relationships that are built on the fakes and the filters. And that gets us ready to be that real with other people who don't share our faith in Jesus. Something's out of balance if all the people we're getting to know in a real way are people who are like us. So apply what we know about relationships here inside the family and relationships with people who are standing outside the door of faith and the Father's throwing it wide open and saying, come in. And when we have those conversations about what's most important in this world, the fact that life and love is a gift given by a good God through His Son and available to anyone, anywhere, anytime who says yes to Jesus. When we have that kind of conversation, we are we're, that's part of what it means to be sent as ambassadors of Jesus in this world. Let's take a minute and remember what kind of door God opens. None of this will go right if we get the door wrong. Does God Open the door of perfection and say, come on in if you're perfect. Come on in to life and love. Come be part of the family if you've never made any mistakes. No, it's not that kind of door. Um, Is it the door of always knowing exactly what to say in response to every hard issue or every hard question? Come on in. You knew all the answers. Come on. I love people who know all the answers. They don't really need my wisdom because they got it all figured out. But come on in. Is it the door of being so strong that you always know exactly what to do? Your weaknesses never show through. No. God didn't invite you to walk through that kind of door. He threw open a door called faith, (laughs) the door of trusting Jesus more than you trust yourself, (laughs) the door of saying yes to the Son because He's the perfect one, not me, not you. He's the wise one who knows all the answers. He's the one (laughs) whose greatest strength showed through in times that we would have thought were great weaknesses. That's the door the Father brought you through. He's not asking you to be perfect and strong and know the answer to every question. He can still use you to invite other people to walk through that same door of faith. And what will we find inside we'll find that it's true that anybody can have life 
and love by saying yes to Jesus. If we found that to be true for ourselves, we can rest in the confidence that God will use us to help other people to find that to be true for them as well. We're never alone. Every time we invite someone to know Jesus, the door has been thrown open by the God who is inviting them as well. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, this is good news. It's good news that um, believers in you are never alone. It's good news that we don't have to be perfect, which means we can stop faking it. We can stop filtering ourselves around other people. It means that we don't have to become like living scams, trying to trick people into trusting Jesus when we know it's not real. It's good news that um, as you invited us to come to Jesus ourselves, you can use us to invite other people to know him. Set us free from whatever is holding us back from being this kind of real person and send us out of this place not guilty that we haven't been doing this right. Send us out of this place full of joy and free. Free. Not to succeed, but free to be part of what you're doing in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.